Hi, and welcome to the Why and the What Product Management Podcast. I'm Daniel Kahn, and today I'm speaking with Travis Kaufman from Gainsight. Travis is a husband and father of three whose professional career has spanned a number of disciplines, from software and product management to B2B marketing and business development. Travis comes from a number of different roles related to product. He was the first hire for product with LiveWorld. He has been the director of product at Marketo, VP of product at LeadSpace, and he currently holds the title of VP product growth at Gainsight. Now, we often think of the product as the thing that we want to sell. We've created something valuable and we want our users to be able to realize that value. For certain products, the product can do the selling itself or have a strong hand in the sales process to ensure that human resources are being deployed efficiently in the customer conversion process. This is Travis's domain. How can products work to sell themselves or work with sales to power that sale forward? Travis and I had the opportunity to chat about this question. He works on Gainsight's Gainsight PX product, which is a product designed to facilitate exactly this kind of product-led process. So we got to speak both about how Gainsight PX can help teams implement and optimize a product-driven growth process, as well as how Travis thinks about product-driven growth as he's working on Gainsight PX itself. Hey, Travis, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Hey, you bet, Daniel. Glad to be here. I'm really looking forward to digging into uh, exactly what it is you do with uh, product over at Gainsight. Um, You've got the title there of uh, VP Product Growth. growth. Um, What is it that uh, VP Product Growth does exactly? Yeah, it's got to be one of the um, the more interesting roles I've held throughout my career. Um, so unlike traditional product management type roles, product growth here is focused on what is the customer's experience as they use our product through a trial, right? So we offer our product as, um, you know, customers can sign up for our product, use it, realize value, and then ideally move to one of our paid offerings. So it's my team uh, who's focused on driving those conversions to happen. So in many ways, product growth is similar to uh, kind of core product management, uh, but it's also a hybrid of uh, your marketing organization. So thinking, um, you know, what is the experience? What are the things that you are saying to help a user understand your value? But our tools are not necessarily webinars. The tools are the product itself. Um, so that's, that's our primary function here at the organization. Okay, great. So you, you mentioned, uh, marketing a couple of times there, the, uh, the role VP product growth, are you part of the, uh, the product organization or uh, marketing organization? How does, how does that work over at Gainsight? How are you organized? Yeah. So we're organized. I roll up into the chief marketing officer, um, but have very close ties into our product, uh, kind of our traditional core product teams as well. So within my team, we have someone who's focused as a, what you'd think of a, a, a product manager themselves with access to engineering resources that uh, are focused on driving conversion and testing and, and executing experiments um, related to the user's experience with the product. 
Okay. So um, do you find that it's a little bit more experiment driven is uh, a little bit more of a data focus than being the, the one that's going in and actually specifically implementing new features or um, I guess uh, there, there's sort of this boundary between, I don't want to say boundary, but sort of fuzzy boundaries mm-hmm. <laughs> between uh, marketing and product and depending on, on how it's structured. Um, how, how would you say that you, you differ from sort of the, the more formal uh, product over yeah. at Gainsight? I mean, I actually think there's more similarities than differences. I mean, if you're executing kind of traditional product management at a SaaS company, I mean, you really are testing hypotheses. You know, you're, you're going through that process. You have a hypothesis. You're validating with the market. You're, you know, creating minimum viable products and offerings to help validate that. Um, it's actually not too different, um, except perhaps some of this, the experiments that we're testing, um, you know, perhaps they are on a, a smaller scale. Right. So think of, um, you know, take a very specific scenario like, um, you know, users converting from signing up to, um, you know, enabling a given feature set or, you know, installing the product offering. So that's a very, um, uh, a very specific scoped problem. Um, And so we focus on some of those areas where maybe the core product teams themselves, they have, um, you know, they may be looking at kind of, overall offerings and markets that we would move into as part of their their you know experimentation type work okay and um maybe this is a good time to uh, get into it um what's sort of the uh, the elevator pitch on gainsight itself and not not to imply that you are in uh startup mode there <laughs> i know gainsight's been around for a while but uh what is what is the uh the value uh prop of gainsight what do you what do you do yeah, so Gainsight actually has a, a pretty interesting history. Um, as an organization, you know, Gainsight had championed really the customer success movement. And, and in many organizations, they have created uh, customer success teams. And so what Gainsight originally was founded on was building software to support um, those teams in their pursuit for um, helping to retain and grow their customers. Now, where I joined the company was actually through a recent acquisition. Um, and so now it introduces a second product line into Gainsight that is intended for product teams. So product managers who need information to understand what users are doing in their products and, um, you know, getting qualitative feedback uh, to help justify any sort of product investment that they're making. And then also in- increasing adoption, right? So in many cases, um, you know, introducing uh, vehicles of engagement with their customers as a- through their product themselves, uh, so this is the Gainsight PX offering that I'm referring to. And um, so you're saying that this is actually a, a fully separate offering from Gainsight that is designed specifically for product. Is it still, is it is it a separate sales cycle, separate process for purchase, or is this something that you get along with the uh, the main Gainsight product? Yeah, it's actually independent of uh, the core customer success offering at Gainsight. Um, you know, we've done a good amount of work since the acquisition to uh, create uh, integrations to where, for example, I mean, um, there's a lot of alignment between what cust- the information customer success needs to help deliver better customer experiences and the information product teams need uh, in terms of how to evolve the product offering. And so one of the things that we've done is the Gainsight PX offering is uh, accessing that data of what your product, your customers are doing with your product and making sure that it gives that uh, common 
baseline of uh, product adoption that is used both within the CS offering as well as on the product side. So there's there's uh, um, independent offerings, but there's a peanut butter and jelly better together story. Yeah, often the case when there's a few things under the same umbrella and you can sort of add value between them. Um, with with Gainsight PX, who's your uh, target customer? What sort of organization size? Uh, who tends to be the one who realizes uh, the value out of that offering? Yeah, I mean, it's there's actually a wide range of uh, customers that will look at our type of solution. Uh, we have, you know, some very young companies that have a product offering and they're trying to establish product market fit, um, all the way up to very large enterprise companies uh, who are introducing new products. So really any uh, enterprise technology company, they can derive value from Gainsight PX. And um, what what is it exactly that is being done within the platform? I believe with uh, sort of the 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 flagship Gainsight product, it's tracking customer journeys, making sure. Actually, why don't why don't you be the? You probably know it much better than I do. Uh, what what's the uh, sort of process for the main uh, flagship as compared to um, sort of the product side uh, process? How would how would someone go about using Gainsight PX? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, they start with the, the core Gainsight customer success offering. Um, you know, you can, you can think of what that does is, is help organizations really operationalize the delivery of customer success in the function. So getting information around uh, company health scores and tracking things like um, onboarding status of a given account. Um, and then ultimately rolling into, you know, what are the consistent things that, that as an organization they need to do in the terms of executing plays for their entire large customer success organization to operate more efficiently. Um, where the Gainsight PX offering comes in into that picture is really any, uh, any software that's sold today, I mean, if the customers aren't using it, aren't adopting it, and, it's, and the product offering is not good ultimately, I mean, there's, it makes it a very, very difficult job for a success organization to retain that customer. And so really the root of the, the challenge here is, is helping those companies build products that their customers ultimately want to use and love. Um, and so Gainsight PX actually helps on that in three ways. Uh, the first is through a very comprehensive set of analytics, right? So making sure that you have visibility into uh, which features and product modules that your customers are adopting. What is your retention rate? We have a number of out-of-the-box uh, analytics that product teams can use. Um, and the second thing is, is going beyond analytics and looking at trends is to identify what is the qualitative feedback that your customers are telling you. And again, not just your customers. So um, in oftentimes enterprise companies, uh, your feedback from your product usage is, is being distilled through you know, your, your primary contact. All right, so I think a single administrator who's the primary contact with, with the, uh, the company. Um, but what, what this allows you to do is to get feedback from the end users who are ultimately using and, and trying to derive value from your product. Uh, so again, getting that feedback back into the product team to help prioritize future investments. And lastly is uh, the ability to help your customers adopt your platform um, in terms of in-app guidance, as well as bringing users back into your product um, using email, for example. So if you have uh, customers who are lacking activity, you can be very selective on the type of message that you interact with them to bring them back into your product uh, to complete a specific action. So it's really those those three modules, the analytics, uh, engagement, and uh, in-app surveys is what uh, the Gainsight PX offering is delivering today. But all with the focus of trying to deliver that insight to product for 
decisioning on where to go next as opposed to the sort of main flagship, which is really about saving, growing, ensuring the success success and health of the specific individual accounts. Absolutely right. And one of the one of the uh um I would say one of the changes that really happened at the time um Gainsight had acquired um you know what is now called Gainsight PX is that in order for a customer of Gainsight historically they needed to have a customer success organization. Well now Gainsight can offer to companies that have um, a product, but not necessarily yet a CS organization, or in the case of companies that have a product-led approach. So think of companies like um, Dropbox and Box and companies that um, have a freemium or a free trial experience, which is no touch, meaning there is no account manager waiting on the other side to pick up the phone. Um, those companies can now deliver outcomes to their customers through their product. And that's one of the, the topics that, um, you know, I've, I've grown to be really passionate about is really what is the, the concept of product-led growth, right? To where the product is the, the primary vehicle that your customers are interacting with you on um, and them realizing value through the product itself. And you, you recently wrote a, uh, an article, which I had a, a chance to go through, which was interesting, which is uh, sort of how we ended up connecting on this about specifically product-led growth. Um, tell me a little bit about that. How does uh, product-led growth work in an organization? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, product-led growth is emerging for a number of factors, but you consider kind of the influences that we have as consumers around wanting to try things before we buy it, right? You test drive a car before you buy it. You know, when you're making, uh, you know, purchases uh, around technology that you use for enterprise, your expectations are influenced by that and you no longer, you know, will tolerate a, you know, a, a, a poor user experience or a poor experience with your, your enterprise software. And so those, those changes have, have really disrupted how um, companies that are selling software need to adjust based upon their buyer's expectations. So, um, you know, companies that are product led are in many cases offering either a free tier uh, or a freemium aspect of their product as a way for customers to try it before they buy and then move into one of their paid offerings at a later time. And so, you know, one of the concepts that that rings true there is being able to identify, you know, any, any, uh, any, any customer that comes into your, your product or any user that comes into your product, they may not be ready to buy right now. This is part of their evaluation process. Uh, so how do you identify who are the ones that uh, are going to convert and how do you how do you increase the likelihood that they're going to convert? Right. So this this notion of a product qualified lead, it starts to emerge. And that was one of the, the things we mentioned in that article uh, was how do you define that, um, measure it and then ultimately improve it. So how is it that you'd um, actually define a, a product qualified lead? Uh, a good question. Uh, really, there's there are three kind of primary characteristics that would contribute to a product qualified lead. Um, one of them is uh, the the organization, and this is specific to you know uh, enterprise sales or enterprise software, to where there's a specific size or characteristic of a company that is a likely fit for your organization. Uh, the second is what is is, it, is this the, uh, the the typical buyer or the person within the organization. Um, that would adopt your software and use it well. Uh, and the third is, what are the things that they are doing within your product? And what are the activities that they are taking that would indicate that they are ready to make a purchase as opposed to just kicking the tires and evaluating? So it's a combination of really who they are, their company, and what are the things that they're doing in the product. Uh, 
So a very more concrete example, um, you know, any trial typically has some sort of barrier or a, um, you know, a paywall, right? So in, in many cases, in the case of, of Gainsight PX, there's a usage uh, threshold. So customers can happily use the product fully featured um, for uh, until they um, have more than 100 monthly active users, right? So they've used it to the point uh, that they reach this, this, uh, this paywall. Um, and so at that point, their usage indicates that they are uh, now ready for one of the, the, the paid offerings. Um, and different businesses have different thresholds, but making sure that you define what those thresholds are is kind of how you back into defining what a product qualified lead is. Do you ever have uh, companies that are interested in exploring uh, more product-led growth strategy come into your funnel end up having a conversation with somebody on your team, but for one reason or another, they're um, they're just not a good fit for that sort of a strategy at this time. They might have something that is too manual in that in their process, and um, if so, what what sort of barriers tend to be the uh, the disqualifiers for organizations that wouldn't be a good fit for uh, product like growth? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I I, I keep hearing, um, you know, when I when I speak on this topic is, you know, there's a perception around is your product complex to set up? Like, can customers realize value in a potentially short period of time? That's most often one of the barriers that is perceived, and in most cases, is real uh, from from people adopting this type of of strategy. Um, I mean, there there are also companies that uh, sell solutions that are highly configurable. Um, that do have a, a product-led approach. I mean, SendGrid is a great example, right? It's a developer solution sending out emails. There's a, a good amount of lift in order to embed that and use that and send an email. Um, but they've been very successful with a product-led approach. Okay, that's that's an interesting example. Um, I uh, Transparently, one of the things that I'm working on right now is uh, sort of trying to make this transition. So I'm trying to think through uh, some of the, the friction points and and how to work through that myself. Um, but it's exactly what you're saying is uh, there's there's a fair amount of configuration that needs to take place up front with the uh, the current design, which I think is exactly what we're we're trying to move away from so that we could help the the users realize value uh, much faster in their their process. Um, with your experience where companies have been uh, successful with a product led, growth strategy, what tends to be, and I'm sure it varies, but what tends to be the, uh, the timeline, uh, from a customer walking through your front door on the, uh, the freemium offering to actually experiencing that value and then actually converting up to the, uh, the paid tier. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we've seen it vary quite a bit, uh, quite a bit depending on company size, you know, you have with the, uh, kind of the smaller organizations, where you know you have potentially a, a founder involved in the development team still, or the CTO who's who started the, the experiment, and they have full access to all of the product. Like that happens. I mean, installation can happen within a day. The same day we've seen that happen. Um, but with large organizations, we've seen them start trials. We've seen them stop the installation process. Uh, we've seen them speak with our our um, you know our sales team for a period of time, and then re-engage with us at a later time. So. Um, I mean, we've seen that process last up to, you know, 60, 90 days uh, in some cases. Um, but again, it's it's being able to identify and help your your prospective customers where they are in their journey. 
right? So very nimble and agile companies are coming in, installing, realizing value within the first week. Um, and that is a very different type of sales process than a, a large organization that comes in, is kicking tires, doing an evaluation, is going to come back and do a, a, you know, a more thorough evaluation later on. So we've been talking a fair amount about uh, sort of the the nature of Gainsight PX as a product because it is a um, a product value product. Um, but sort of moving back towards kind of the meta conversation as to your own practice, your role as a VP product growth at Gainsight. Um, you talked a little bit earlier about running a lot of experiments as being part of your core practice, which is, of course, a, a major part of um, any product um, organization's best practice uh, method. What sorts of experiments have you been uh, running recently and how do you tend to formulate those experiments? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, very much a, a lot of what we do is informed initially by what we see in terms of conversion rates and and usage data. So we actually start there. And so, um, you know, early this year, we mapped out what are the different stages that a user goes through in order for them to realize value with our offering. We'd broken it down into five different stages. And from that, what I looked at was equivalent to a funnel analysis. And I, I really, we just identified what is the area that we could make the most impact? And uh, what we found was, um, you know, one of the one of the um, really the the barriers, so to speak, or one of the most important things that customers can do is install our technology within theirs. And what we saw was, a, a, you know, a 13 percent conversion rate at the time. And instead of going in and trying to solve it immediately, we didn't know why. Right. We didn't know why uh, our customers weren't installing and why there was that drop off rate. So the first thing that we did was actually try to get some qualitative information around what was the reasoning behind that? And so we were very selective on, on um, you know, getting feedback from customers who both completed that step and also didn't complete it to understand why. And it was actually that feedback that helped us drive the experiment. Um, and what we had in- ended up doing, uh, we found that um, for the companies that did not do the installation process, there was a question around uh, they needed more information around pricing before they were willing to commit more time. And so the experiment really that we introduced was, um, you know, informing uh, the pricing closer up front in that process um, and then actually bringing that information to make it easier for them to actually run installation. So we introduced better documentation that helped give them that information they were looking for to kind of make it um, one uh, more front and center what they needed to do uh, after we were able to solve the, uh, the information challenge that it, what it was. Uh, so that was one experiment um, that we had run. Um, but uh, really, there's there's a, a number of stages, and that's really the, the process that we go through. I, I find that looking at the numbers gives us where we think we can make the biggest impact. Um, and then, you know, getting specific customer feedback is the second step to help us hone in on what we actually are trying to do. I mean, numbers alone typically leave out why uh, something is happening. Um, and then we introduce really the equivalent of a test, and we compare... Um, we compare the users that had interacted with the the test experiment uh, relative to our baseline. And so it's actually in that last step, you think of what we're doing as A-B testing, which is a piece of it. Um, But really, it's all of the work leading up to that test uh, that really, um, I think, helps us be successful in, in the work that we're doing. So you're starting out with the uh, the qualitative, get to the the question of what is uh, going on and uh, find out where you might have that, that most opportunity. And then you move into 
that um, qualitative uh, discovery where you're actually speaking with the customers. Um, of course, with the the quant, you could get to statistical significance and, and really get to a, a clear understanding of um, where you are currently. And then you run your A-B test and you can understand if you're successful or not. With the, uh, the qualitative side, um, what have you found has kind of been the magic number? Because I imagine you can't spend the time literally talking to a population of a thousand different users to uh, survey across what is the uh, the main reasons. How many customers do you tend to try to actually speak with uh, when you're going through that that qualitative uh, discovery? I mean, it's it's we end up going through the process and starting with a bit of a wide net in the form of. Uh, a very targeted survey with using open-ended questions. And actually that leads to the discussion piece. And we interview until we find the, the pattern, right? If, if um, And this is where, you know, I think everyone wants to have a hard number. They're like, oh, five is the number and 10 is the number. I think it really comes down to what does it take to find a consistent pattern that if addressed is going to represent the larger, uh, you know, user base. So do you always start with um, some sort of a survey uh, before you, or is that where it ends also, or do you actually get onto the phone with or try to bring customers in in person and uh, speak to them as well? What does your, uh, your qualitative process actually look like? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been for the most part starting with a survey and that gets us to a specific, a smaller cohort of people that we want to reach out to and speak with. Um, you know, in some cases we'll even get customers on the phone. We'll do, you know, use zoom, for example, as a, uh, a way to record a, a session and to watch someone use your product. Um, and that's one of the ways that we can go ahead and get at that information in a more friction free way. And, and something else I didn't cover, uh, really is, you know, we're not, we're not operating in a complete disconnected universe, right? So oftentimes we've got to share this information that we find with the, the broader organization. One, it helps them understand what we're doing, but, Two, it's really information that that can impact, you know, other other functional areas of the product, right? So if an experiment that we're running surfaces, you know, maybe a, a core um, factor that or a core capability that gap, um, that's something that we flag to our our um, partners in the product organization. When you found that you've got some results from this, is it your organization that's building the final version of this, or do you the uh, the developers that? your team works with tend to be building on more of an experimental basis, a um, lower fidelity version of uh, whatever it is that's being constructed. And then it gets passed on to um, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, everything that we do is, is high fidelity, right? So we, we're not in the business of putting garbage experiments in front of our customers and trying to, to make assumptions off of that. Um, and so it is our team that for the most case, if there's, and this is one of the benefits of, of a solution like Gainsight PX is we're able to run very high fidelity uh, experiments in the product um, that when it becomes something that is a core capability difference, that's when the handoff occurs. But there's a lot that we can do and introduce in helping users understand uh, the product offering uh, without changing core product capabilities. And um, from a, uh, a sales cycle perspective, from a conversion perspective, um, you're starting with a customer uh, discovery period where they've got the the freemium offering. And then with, uh, with Gainsight PX, it sounds like, as you mentioned, you've got a usage cutoff where they need to convert to paid. Is there, is there any point where they need to be speaking with a, a human or 
um, do you have team members that reach out or do you do this all within product? That's a great question. So, I mean, there's, there's kind of three different uh, kind of core strategies you can apply, right? Where on the far left-hand side, you've got really the, the traditional sales model, right? Request a demo on the website. Someone's going to call you, set up time, do a demo. You have on the far opposite side of that, you have what we described as product-led, right? Think of that as the, the no-touch, going to pay with a credit card type of experience. And then what you have really in the middle is actually closer to what we're doing, which is what I would consider product-assisted, to where customers can try the product if they want to, and then there's a threshold in which they do speak with a representative, but it's not that they're speaking with everyone. Um, and again, that's where that product-qualified lead concept comes into play. Um, and then those are, those are the type of things we're experimenting with as well is, you know, what is um, the right level of human interaction that is helpful and what, where are the points where it is necessary? So I mentioned earlier there was a customer that came in. They were evaluating the product. Um, our inside sales team reached out to them as part of uh, work that they had done in the product. And that was um, a good touch point for us to understand that they were just evaluating. They shared that with us. And that they're going to keep playing with it, right? So they they were. Um, it's a way for you to really e- efficiently deploy your people when you need to, right? And when you don't need to, be able to back off. So I've worked in scenarios where we had a little bit of a product led growth, um, and I, I certainly didn't have the language to uh, to put that title on it at the time. <laughs> uh, strategy. Where we've we had um, and I'll, I, I used to work for a, for a company called QuickTap Survey. I'll, I'll use names here. <laughs> um, so we we had a, a form product where you would sometimes have users show up and start using it, and it was a freemium offering, and they'd start to build something. And we would play around with at times how much we were going to reach out and uh, put a human resource on this vast majority of the time we were working with uh, customers that were purchasing at a, a pretty low dollar amount. And it was, it was a monthly offering you could purchase on annual with a little bit of a discount, but you were typically in the 500 to $1,500 range uh, per year on accounts. And, um, we'd sometimes end up with these accounts that were much, much larger. And the the concern, and at the time I was uh, managing the customer success team, I've since moved into uh, working in product full-time, which is why I do this podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, but the, the concern that I always had was that we had customers that were slipping through the cracks from the perspective of they're successful enough with freemium that they're, they're hitting the landmarks they're moving forward. We might even get them into a paid version on a a monthly basis at a low dollar Mm -hmm. amount. Every once in a while, if we started calling a little bit more, you would find these diamonds where you would have missed something big if you didn't get on the phone with them where they were mm-hmm. evaluating a few different products they mm-hmm. were willing to pay to get to the outside of freemium level of feature set um but the difference between them spending a thousand dollars a year with us and ten thousand dollars a year with us or twenty thousand dollars a year with us was mm-hmm. us getting on the phone and your team 
is always going to know your product more than a customer who's kicking the tires for the first time. Even if you've got a, a product that can help them get up and running and push them through the the landmarks to to get them to that initial value. But it was that conversation discovering that they were really evaluating for a much larger um, deployment and that we could help them understand that there were certain things hidden under the hood that weren't necessarily valuable for everyone. But knowing that there's a long tail of features that aren't necessarily going to be shown to everyone that we could expose to them and it required a bit more of a human conversation. I I, I guess what I'm getting at is... Um, how do you avoid this? <laughs> How do you get yeah. to a, a position where you don't end up with, or at least you have some level of confidence that those customers, the ones that are kicking the tires, but are really looking for something that's maybe a, a highly valuable feature that's going to be a little bit more hidden down into your product that would require human intervention to help them see that value? How do you get there with uh, product-led growth? It's, it's a continuous discovery process. As, as I heard you describing the scenario, I mean, what it really came down to is you do have an offering or your product was an offering that had some level of complexity and uh, you weren't quite sure which aspect they were um, interested in. So one of the areas that you can, you can, um, you can help address, and again, this is similar to an experiment, is um, you know, some of the more sophisticated companies, what they can do is based upon uh, the content or the information that the user had been reading up until they signed up for the offering is an indicator. So you're inferring interest at that point. Um, other methods, if you can't infer it that way, is to ask. So as someone logs into your product, you can, you can either, you can decide whether or not you want to ask them. So, hey, what, you know, what brought you here today? Which area can we help guide you? And actually make that part of your product's experience. Um, you know, and I'm, and I'm not just saying that, that you know, the, the answer is to remove people from the equation. I think early on, it's actually really good to have someone involved to help learn very quickly uh, what works and what doesn't. Um, but again, I think it's, this is an iterative process. I think just putting your product out there with a freemium idea and then thinking that's it you know, it's, it's with any product offering you have, like you are learning and iterating and that's part of your learnings is, you know, what are the most valuable things that the highest paying customers are, are, are looking for. And perhaps there's something we need to do to introduce that capability when we identify that it's relevant for them. I feel like I'm uh, thinking of this conversation right now as therapy a little bit. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, thinking back to my times as I was trying to work through some of these problems directly in, in front of me with it. And of course, I'm going to be working from maybe a little bit of a different angle on similar problems in the future. But maybe <laughs> at the time, a product like uh, Gainsight PX would have been would have been nice to have. Um, um, I don't want to get into saying what they're up to now because i honestly don't know because the uh, the product i worked on still exists uh, i was acquired and is still successfully being operated by someone else right now but um at the time and we're talking a few years ago it, this uh maybe they've made some big strides there because i know it's uh still being used but at the time this would have been nice for me in my role there too <laughs> to yeah. have been able to yeah, have I mean looked into so the companies that i speak with most recently that are considering moving or they have a more traditional uh, sales cycle, and they want to explore moving into becoming more product-led, um, 
one of the fears that they are sharing with me is that their sales organization is afraid of this move, right? And for that exact reason, if, if I don't get on the phone with them, how are they going to know all the things my product can do for them? Like that's, that's one of the core values of a sales force is to be able to map uh, the highest value that you can deliver for that customer and help them understand the value. And I think um, one of the, I guess one of the, the practices that we suggest customers who are going through this is that your sales team, in many cases, it's not all or nothing, right? You're not taking away something from them. If anything, you're, you're potentially giving them more information. For example, if you have a customer that, that's trying an aspect of the product, that information through solutions like Gainsight PX can be made available to them so they don't have to ask um, you know, this barrage of discovery questions. There's a lot that they can learn from what customers are actually doing. Um, and again, that's, that's something that um, requires a lot of discussion. It was one of the, the, um, one of the exercises that we went through internally here with our own organization, right? So making sure that um, you know, our customer-facing teams do understand that we're not taking something away, that there's actually a, a more effective way to operate. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but I think you're, you're hitting the, the nail on the head there in that the human resources of your organization are valuable and expensive and um, to deploy them, especially when the, uh, the lifetime value of the customer is expected to not be uh, astronomical. Um, you, you really want to make sure that you're being, they're being deployed efficiently where they are going to be higher leverage in that process. And so having a product which is going to guide them towards the, uh, the right conversations where, where they can feel like they're just hitting home runs all day long because they've got the right information and the right customers. And you're ending up with uh, successful accounts um, using your product, I think is, is hugely valuable. So it's um, it, it makes sense to me what, what you're putting together there. Um, wanted, wanted to ask you, um, I like to ask this of everyone who, who comes on, what sorts of uh, resources tend to help guide you um, in figuring out what are the best ways to go about approaching product? Um, what have you been reading? What would you suggest the, uh, the listeners uh, uh, look into? Yeah. I mean, there's, there are great resources available um, when you search for things, but I've, I've, um, I've learned a lot over the years from, um, it's actually a blog from Daniel Schmidt, uh, productlogic.org. I think he put together a lot of good frameworks around what is product in, in for enterprise SaaS companies. Um, more specifically to executing product-led growth, uh, really there's two things I can share with you is that um, if you go to gainsight.com slash blog, we have uh, an ebook around product-led growth and, and delivering exceptional product experiences um, that I think would be, be valuable for anyone that's in this, you know, kind of product-led or even exploring product-led practices. Um, and we also have uh, actually coming up in uh, the end of May, our annual conference in San Francisco, uh, Pulse. Uh, so where we have a lot of thought leaders coming together, sharing best practices uh, and creating, you know, what I, what I would consider to be um, practical advice uh, from people who are, are doing this work day in and day out. So that's um, for all of uh, Gainsight overall, or this is a Gainsight PX conference, or who would you say are the, uh, the best people to attend this? Because that's, uh, that's great that you've got this uh, conference coming up. Sounds like a pretty short timeline. That's uh, yeah. coming up soon. <laughs> 
<laughs> We've been working on it for a while, and actually it's been in an evolution over the years. Uh, so the most recent iteration is that we're expanding this for product management uh, leaders as well uh, to join, where historically we've had you know, really growth-oriented customer success or business operations type professionals. Uh, so this year, we're creating dedicated content and event experiences for product teams specifically. Um, and yes, it is coming up very, very fast, but it's going to be a great event, uh, great information. Um, so, you know, I welcome anyone who's interested to take a look at, uh, pulse19.com, pulse19.com. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll put the, uh, the link for that up in the, uh, the notes for the, the show. And I know I mentioned earlier that, um, how we originally connected was through that article, that post that you'd put up, uh, explaining your thoughts on, uh, product like growth. So I'll throw the link to that post in there as well. Uh, but, uh, Travis, uh, Great talking to you. Interesting to really think about the uh, the way that product can can drive growth um, for the organization as well, um, and how that really interfaces with uh, the sales and um, customer success teams. Um, so it's been holistic, and I appreciate you taking us through um, sort of the the way that you operate at Gainsight PX and how Gainsight PX as a product product could uh, help other organizations as well. You bet, Daniel. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks to Travis for sharing his insights on how product can be the mechanism for growth. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more, please subscribe wherever you listen. And if you would like to rate the podcast in iTunes, it really helps with the visibility of the show. I'll be back with another product management chat soon.